From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, coming up, a hearing of the House Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government exploded this morning after this opening statement by former Missouri Attorney General and now Senator Eric Smith. The Biden administration has led the largest speech speech censorship operation in recent American history. Since taking office, President Biden and his team have labored to suppress viewpoints with which they disagree. And in doing so, they have infringed upon the individual freedoms of millions of Americans. Democrat members of the committee attempted to shut the hearing down by moving to adjourn. We'll talk with a member of the Weaponization Committee, Kentucky Congressman Thomas Massey, in just a moment. Events of this week in Tennessee and elsewhere have many people asking, how did transgenderism become such a prominent problem in our country? Well, it it wasn't accidental. Some are aggressively pushing it. This is a very simple question. Does the president want to use CHIPS money to pay for gender mutilation surgery? If it's a simple question, I will tell you the simple answer is we want to make sure that everyone in America has access to the health care that they need. Whether you're a so, child so or the answer is yes. So the president perceives and you perceive that that mutilation surgery is what the child needs. That was Congressman Andy Harris earlier this week questioning the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra, about a uh, insurance program for children. We'll talk with Maryland Congressman Dr. Andy Harris later here on Washington Watch. It obviously doesn't start with surgeries and hormone treatments. It begins with the infusion of lies and distortions into the minds of children, which is why we are seeing the battles over libraries, books, and the curriculum in school classrooms. Now, Virginia is a case study in the importance of elections and their outcomes. Now, Governor Glenn Youngkin, who has been on this program, ran to return educational control to parents, and he won. One of the first laws he advanced was a measure that required parental notification about sexually explicit materials in schools. That law is why school officials are now removing dozens of books from school libraries. We'll talk with the superintendent of the Spotsylvania County Public Schools, Mark Taylor, who announced this week a list of books that are being removed from library shelves. Despite the Biden administration's funding and incendiary rhetoric, State policymakers are not being deterred in their efforts to protect children. We've been very clear about these anti-LGBTQ bills that we're seeing in state legislatures legislatures across the country, in particular these anti-trans bills, as they attack trans kids, as they attack trans parents. Uh, it It is shameful, and it is unacceptable. That, of course, was White House Spin Secretary Karine Jean Pierre. We're going to talk with Dr. Jennifer Balance, director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. We'll also discuss the unseen trauma of the events of this week. Our word for today comes from Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 19. They cast their silver into the streets, and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was the the stumbling block of their iniquity. The rod of God's judgment was falling upon Jerusalem, and nothing short of repentance could stop it, not their military defenses, not their religion, and not their economy. This makes it abundantly clear that there was no economic remedy to this sin problem. 
It wasn't a matter of just spending more money or passing another debt-funded relief bill. Ultimately, to borrow and flip a phrase from Bill Clinton's 1992 presidential campaign, it's not the economy, stupid. God doesn't deal in the currency of man. He deals in the currency of heaven, which is righteousness and holiness, not nickels and dimes. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Earlier today, the House Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government held its third hearing investigating the Biden administration's censorship of social media platforms. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry and others delivered blistering testimony on the censorship efforts of the federal government working in concert with big tech. As we continue to learn, the federal government has been weaponized against the people. Well, joining us is a member of the committee, Congressman Thomas Massey. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Kentucky. He joins us by phone. Congressman Massey, thanks so much for joining us here on Washington Watch. Well, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, we just had the hearing. The more I learn about this censorship industrial complex, which is what we're calling it, uh, the more disturbed I am. Now, do I have this right that the the Democrats on the subcommittee, they wanted to shut it down. They didn't like what they were hearing, and so they tried to shut the hearing down. Oh, yeah, they they tried all sorts of dilatory maneuvers. They tried to strike the testimony of Jeff Landry, the, the attorney general, which is sort of ironic. We're doing a First Amendment hearing, uh, and they want to keep some testimony from getting heard or going into the record. So. Uh, my colleague Mike Johnson pointed out the irony of that. Um, and they were just generally dilatory. Uh, they don't seem to want to participate in this. There used to be a time, there used to be a time when you could find people on the left, like occasionally the ACLU uh, would, you know, a broken clock's right twice a day. Uh, occasionally they would be right, and sometimes they would be right on the First Amendment, but they're, they're nowhere to be found now. Now, what did you personally find most striking from the testimony in today's hearing? Oh, the, the breadth and the depth. Uh, and by the way, most of the information we uh, know about because of this hearing came out through depositions of individuals, FBI, C- CDC, in this court case that Louisiana and Missouri have taken up against the federal government. The, the thing that I found disturbing, Tony, in the last week, I found out I was a target and my constituents were a target of something called the Virility Project. It's a consortium of academia and 501c3s that works hand-in-glove with the government to target. They, they, they monitor millions of social media posts and identify trends and things that need to be targeted. Twice they mentioned me in their internal documents as uh, when I talked about natural immunity and whether or not you really needed a vaccine if you had already had the uh, the virus. And I quoted actual research, um, and they said it was problematic. Whether it was true or not, they said it was problematic and that it needed to be addressed. And this was the virility project um, that they're calling it. They're trying to keep things from going viral. And, I, and the problem there is not that my voice was squelched. When they shut down my uh, tweets, on natural immunity, they disabled my ability to view the comments from my constituents. And that is First Amendment. You know, the First Amendment talks about your freedom of religion, your freedom of speech, but also freedom to address your grievances, to redress right. your government. Yes. 
And, and, and the, the connection here with the First Amendment social media platforms is that the government was pushing for this. It, it was, they were colluding. And I want to go back because we really shouldn't be surprised. We, we should listen to what this administration is saying, because I want to go back to uh, July 15, 2021. And this was the then press secretary, Jen Saki, uh, talking about working with uh, social media to address these posts as it pertained to COVID. Play clip 14. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. I mean, there it is right there. Yeah, they had a back door into uh, into the censorship at these social media companies. They called it partnership portals where they could submit spreadsheets, the government, I'm talking about the White House, through the Surgeon General, through the CDC, through NIAD, they could submit lists of things that they wanted banned. And there was even one case where uh, Facebook pushed back and said, this, this doesn't meet our, uh, you know, our policy. It's actually true, and it doesn't violate our policy. But we're going to go ahead and de-boost the Tucker Carlson program that went viral, they agreed to do that, even though they acknowledged it wasn't in enforcing their own policies. It was doing something because the government would also go to them, the White House, and threaten to push legislation that would make them less competitive or take away their business model. So there were threats. There were offers of things. There, uh, and that's when, when you have that sort of power over the media, it, it feels like East Germany or something. Right. I mean, Congressman Massey, that that has to be a violation of the First Amendment. You have the federal government working with a third party to silence not only elected officials, but citizens uh, of this country. To silence citizens, elected officials, the media. And you they were so integrated. They um, had dozens of FBI agents assigned to this, uh, the, the social media companies had dozens of people assigned to it. Uh, you've got this consortium, though, also on the outside that was working on this. And when the government is working that tightly, basically the social media companies become agents of the government. Right. And that, you know, if the government hires somebody to carry out something that is unconstitutional, then it's unconstitutional. It's true that the, the Constitution doesn't bear on private organizations, but if those private organizations were working for the government or being forced by the government, as they were in these cases of censorship, that is a clear violation right. of the First Amendment. That's the nexus. That's it right there. So uh, given that understanding, this testimony that's come out, which is based upon depositions in these lawsuits, uh, and most of it surrounding COVID, but I think it goes even broader than that, what can be done? A great question, because we talked about that, too. By the way, the depositions are just of government officials. We need to open the can of worms at Facebook. Twitter has already, you know, voluntarily through Elon Musk told us what's going on. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have the power of the purse. We need to defund these programs. There's also some discussion uh, of creating a, a private uh, cause of act, right of action, cause of action, you know, mm -hmm. where – Right. Somebody can sue the government. You can sue the state if they were to do this to you, like a, a you know a state. But you can't sue the government right now. The threshold's too hard. And and also to fire these individuals 
I mean, that's the least we could do is to set up some system where if you violate uh, the, the First Amendment rights of somebody and you're a government official, you get fired. So there, there were a lot of ideas for, regu- or for laws that need to be changed or put into place to prevent this from happening. Uh, Congressman Massey, we're almost out of time, but we're coming up to this de- debate over the debt ceiling. Is this one of the issues that may factor into that? You mentioned the purse strings. Um, well, I would like to use the debt ceiling to strengthen our position on the appropriations process, either through budget caps as a condition of raising the debt ceiling or making Joe Biden and the Senate promise they won't shut the government down if we don't come to an agreement. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but uh, I would say if we don't come to an agreement, let's fund the government at 95 percent of current levels. That way, when when Joe Biden and the Senate try to be dilatory when we're trying to cut some of this stuff, we have a backstop that right. isn't shutting down the government, I, funding everything at 95 percent. I think that's a very prudent approach. I really do. Uh, Congressman Thomas Massey, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Thanks for covering this. The First Amendment is so important. You are 100 percent correct. It is. And folks, uh, we not not only need to be praying, but we need to be speaking into this issue. And and again, the uh, the Republicans are doing everything they said they were going to do, and we need to be applauding them as they are doing that. Um, so anyway, a lot of work to be done, but we're moving in the right direction. All right, after the break, the Biden administration wants to take limited federal dollars for health care for children and use it for gender mutilating surgeries. We're going to talk about it with Congressman Andy Harris after the break. Don't go away. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how his word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with the prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview.
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Thursday. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources and information there for you, including information about the upcoming Pray Vote Stand Summit, which will be September the 15th through the 17th. I'll have more about that a little bit later. All right. In testimony before the Congress this week, Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra defended President Biden's use of federal funds to pay for experimental gender procedures, including permanent surgeries for children. Just last year, President Biden signed an executive order to increase access to these dangerous procedures, but also to bypass state laws that ban such surgeries. We're seeing momentum, though, to stop these harmful procedures at the state level. I mean, we, uh, we, we've seen several states just this week. In fact, yesterday, I mentioned this, Kentucky Lawmakers there in Kentucky overrode, Republicans overrode the Democratic governor uh, to put a prohibition in place. We've uh, seen, I think, seven of these measures passed just this year. Well, this comes even as the federal government is doubling down, in some cases, violating state laws. Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Andy Harris. He's a doctor. He is a member of the House Appropriations Committee, co-chair of the House Pro-Life Caucus, and a member of the GOP Doctors Caucus. He represents Maryland's 1st Congressional District. Congressman Harris, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's good to be with you, Tony. So first off, you led the questioning of Secretary Becerra on this topic at the appropriations hearing this week. And and frankly, I want to thank you for, for pressing him on this, but he really didn't answer your question. Well, that's right. Uh, but, but although he clearly implied that this administration was, in fact, going to use children's health insurance money uh, to pay for these procedures, uh, I don't know what what are they ashamed of? If they believe in it so strongly, why don't they admit it? You know, I think, Tony, that deep inside they know this is very wrong to do to our children. But for politically uh, correct reasons, uh, they, they choose to take the positions they do. And they just need to be pushed back against. Uh, the vast majority of people do believe that it is wrong to submit a child to these uh, gender mutilation surgeries and to the chemical therapies as well that aren't safe. That is certainly one aspect of this. It is a horrific aspect of this. But also the, the CHIPS program, which is the Childhood uh, Health insurance program. And back when I was a lawmaker in Louisiana, when it first came out, this is to cover those children who don't qualify for Medicaid, but their families just might not have the resources necessary to get that child health care services, preventive services. 
so it, it's it, this is an important program. It helps some people that are that, that just are kind of caught in between. It's limited in its resources. And so here we are, we're directing, redirecting these limited resources to unnecessary and even harmful medical procedures. That's right, Tony, and I'd go well beyond unnecessary. These are harmful. The bottom line is these are not reversible procedures. Uh, the You can't, in many cases, reverse the effect of Lupron, the uh, medication you give for uh, uh, to uh, stop puberty, the puberty blocker. Uh, they cause permanent, they cause permanent damage, thousands, tens of thousands of adverse events reported to the FDA with, with the use of that drug. And yet the administration insists on using those precious children's health insurance program dollars instead of paying for what is, what is necessary and what is safe. They pay for this, for this unnecessary and honestly harmful, harmful procedures. All right. Andy, you're a medical doctor. Now, we have seen European countries reverse previous decisions on the exper- these experimental treatments. They're moving away from it. And, and, of course, you know, when you look at Europe, they're much more liberal than we are. But they're actually moving away from the previous decisions that embrace these experimental treatments. So the question is, why is the U.S. and the Biden administration so far behind on the science that said this is not the thing that needs to be done? Tony, it's because this is not about science. This is about politics. Uh, this is this is not scientifically based. There is no one who can say they know what the long-term effect on these uh, again, usually adolescent girls who who decide that they are that they want to change their gender. We have no idea what the long-term effect of of all this surgery and all this medication is. And until we do that, I think those European countries are doing the right thing. Tap the brakes on this before it's too late. The only thing I can say, and it's and it's industry wide, because I also uh, asked this uh, of the uh, FDA commissioner uh, this week in a different hearing. Uh, in, I think administration wide, this they're going full tilt on this. They're treating this different from everything else they do uh, with regards to science and medicine. And the only explanation I can come up with, they're playing pure politics, and it's dangerous politics because they're ch- playing with children's lives. Yeah. So I want you brought up another point in your questioning of uh, Secretary Becerra, and I want to ask you about this because, as I mentioned yesterday, the Republicans in the Kentucky legislature overrode the Democratic governor, passing yet another safe act type bill that protects children from these experimental procedures. There have been seven such laws passed this year uh, against these experimental procedures. That uh, makes a total of nine just in the last couple of years that have passed these, and over 100 bills addressing these types of issues were introduced this year in the legislative session of states. Now, you specifically asked about how the administration would handle funds for these procedures in states where it's illegal. Um, It doesn't look like they're going to be deterred by the laws of these states. Well, look, the president said quite plainly that he disagrees with the ability of states to pass laws like this. Well, I disagree with the president. If he's not going to protect children, thank goodness that some governors around this country are going to protect children. But you're right. From my questioning of Secretary Becerra, it is unclear whether or not they are going to press the point and attempt to override the decision of state legislators and state governors who are just trying to protect the young people in, in their who live in their state uh, from these dangerous, dangerous medical and surgical therapies. Well, Dr. Harris, that sounds like, uh, to me, that's another lawsuit for attorneys general 
who represent these states and these lawmakers. Well, I agree. Look, I hope the Biden administration comes to its senses, looks at the scientific literature and agrees with those European countries that have, in fact, tapped the brakes on this. But if they're unwilling to do it, then these attorney generals are going to have to be willing to stand up uh, to the, this administration again. This is this is for our children, especially for our adolescent uh, girls who are disproportionately affected, uh, again, by this epidemic of gender dysphoria. Yeah, it's a social contagion. Dr. Andy Harris, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Thank you, Tony. All right, folks, coming up, we've got the effects of elections, where the governor of Virginia passing a law giving parents more voice into education and what's in the classroom. Well, superintendents are now acting on it. One of them joins us after this. Don't go away. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Yesterday, Spotsylvania County Public Schools in Fredericksburg, Virginia, announced that it will remove 14 books that contain, quote, sexually explicit content and themes that are inappropriate for young persons, end quote. And those are being removed from the school district's libraries. Now, the district joins many districts nationwide making similar decisions to protect their children. This is all part of a trend that we continue to see as parents, as parents are engaging with their children's schools. Most, a lot of this coming after they realized what their kids were actually being taught in schools as they uh, got a look into it during COVID. And what they found out, it wasn't just reading and writing and arithmetic. And to be clear, some of the books that were removed even contained sexual, sexual encounters, not just between minors, but as 
between adults and minors, and it's just, and they were listed in or described rather in graphic detail. Now, frankly, this is not just material that children should be exposed to. Frankly, there's not really any purpose behind this material to begin with. When you look at children and being sexually sexualized by adults, well, joining me now uh, to talk about this is Spotsylvania. County Public School Superintendent Mark Taylor, who made the decision to remove these books. Mark, welcome to Washington Watch. Tony, thank you very much. Good to meet you, sir. Well, well Mark, first, uh, thank you. Uh, good to have you. I, I want to express our appreciation to you on behalf of uh, concerned parents, not only there in your community, but nationwide, for taking a stand and protecting children from these uh, inappropriate materials. Now, I want to ask you a question. What led you to make this decision? Um, yes, sir. The question, the decision is rooted really in new law that was passed by the Virginia General Assembly and signed by Governor Youngkin last year. And it was a major priority of Governor Youngkin's, as I understand it, to support uh, parental notification and parental uh, opt-out rights with regard to sexually explicit materials in the public schools. As it happens, um, Library books are included in, at least in our division's treatment by policy of instructional materials, and a number of the books had been challenged due to their content. The, what I found was that there were books that included content that is, meets the state's definition of sexually explicit material, and therefore clearly requires parental notification and opt-out. Now, with these being library books, there is no efficient or reliable mechanism to control um, who or when takes a, a student takes a book off the shelf in the library and sits and reads it during a free period. Mm -hmm. The most efficient thing for us to do as a division, therefore, is simply to remove the books. No law requires them to be in the library. They are available in the public libraries. They do not have a role in our uh, instructional program that I could discern. And so it seemed most efficient and best in the interest of parental uh, engagement and the reinforcement of parental rights simply to remove the books from our school libraries. So, Superintendent Taylor, what I hear you saying is two things. One. The law said, I, I, I got to protect kids from this. Parents have to be involved if they have it. And then secondly, you have limited resources, and you're saying we really don't have a system in place. We'd have to create one for a handful of books in order to ensure that we're in compliance with the law. Now, there are some critics, uh, as I'm sure you're hearing from them, but they're, they're saying this is book banning. What do you say? Well, absolutely not. First of all, before this decision was made, uh, the, it was confirmed, I confirmed personally, that these titles are all available in the public library system. And that is the library system's right. That's the community's um, right. And, and that's not an issue for us, the school division. This is simply about law passed in Virginia about sexually explicit instructional materials that are made available to children mm -hmm. and young people in our schools. Uh, so it, they're not, it's not a ban. 
it's simply not a ban. I know we have some vocal critics, but what else are you hearing from parents since you've made this decision? Well, I've heard from a few parents, and, and, and frankly, there is a, this is budget season, and we do have limited resources, and we are engaged in a full-scale uh, campaign with our local governing body to encourage funding for our school division. And so, frankly, the budget is taking a lot of our present attention. But the response that I'm aware of from some parents is very supportive of this decision. I would it's think so. Because it affirms the parental engagement and the, the, the parents' right to know and responsibility for their children. Well, it's actually refreshing to see people um, adhering to the law. Uh, especially when we see so much lawlessness today. Very quickly, uh, Mark, we're, we're on the way out here for a break, but how can our listeners and viewers be praying for you and your team? Oh, thank you. Thank you for that question, uh, Mr. Perkins. We, we are dedicated to service to this community and betterment of the school division here. We do have many challenges, and right now funding is a critical need with uh, especially with the news of concerns about revenue projections for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Funding is an acute need. We need the support of this community. We want to do our very best. We want to maintain the best programs possible, provide the best experience possible for this community's young people. It really is all about the kids here. Well, we certainly will pray to that end, and I know that people appreciate you protecting the children and what they're being exposed to. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Tony, thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. Dr. Jennifer Balance joins us next to unpack the traumatic events of this week. Don't go away. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742.
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. All right, folks, welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and it's Thursday, and the website's TonyPerkins.com, so we know those things for certain. All right, in recent years, I mentioned that I was going to say something more about the Pray Vote Stand Summit coming up in September. Well, you know what? We've seen this accelerated assault, not just on our core beliefs, but on the very foundation of our faith. You know, it's, it's becoming hard just to express our Christian faith. And, and now we're seeing, you know, it's, it's literally under attack. Um, so it's time to build up that foundation, to strengthen our faith, come together and strengthen one another and, and, and translate those beliefs into actions, effective action that engage the culture around us. And so that's our fo- that is the focus of the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit, which will be here in Washington, D.C., September the 15th through the 17th. Now, this is a national gathering of what we call spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives, or sage cons. Registration is now open. So visit prayvotestand.org for details and for early bird registration. So again, go to prayvotestand.org to find out more and to register. This week, our nation was again grieving a senseless act of unspeakable violence. This time it was against Covenant School, a Christian school in Nashville. Whether it's Nashville or any other city, you name it, across America, at the heart of these mass shootings are manifest signs of a nation that has walked away from God. Now, I believe, is our moment to do what the brave police officers in Nashville did, confront and engage the crisis, not sit back and wait and see what happens, but to confront it. You know, as Christians, we're called to to confront evil and protect the vulnerable so that they may live, truly live, by knowing Jesus. And in confronting the many issues that came to the forefront in the wake of the Covenant School shooting, we're faced with the issue of gender dysphoria, which the shooter apparently suffered from, as well as the unseen trauma that children all across the country are experiencing every time one of these tragic events occurs. Well, joining me now in the studio to discuss this is Dr. Jennifer Bowens, who is the director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. Prior to her role at FRC, she worked as a clinician and researcher addressing the effects of psychological trauma. As a researcher, she studied the effects of mass traumatic events like 9-11. So she has 
a, a lot of uh, expertise in this field. Uh, Jennifer, welcome back to the program. It's good to be with you again, Tony. So, Jennifer, before we uh, dive into some of these questions I raised here, just share with uh, our viewers and listeners your initial reactions as you learned of this week's events. You know, any mass shooting is heartbreaking, but when you hear who it's affecting, when you hear about little kids being affected by um, such a heinous act, it, it touches your heart and in your gut in a whole other way than I think um, when it involves adults. And especially when we know that there's such a, an incredible assault on our, our children right now. Um, so, my, you know, obviously my first response, like many of us, uh, was just absolute heartache. But then my I think my follow up response was when we you hear about someone who may be identifying as transgender. Right. It's even heart more heartbreaking because you realize this is a our culture has created a seedbed for for violence and hatred and anger um, and and for practices that promote dysfunction that are not leading to health. They're leading kids down a road of of more dysfunction and more complications. Well, one of the first things that I that I noticed in this when I saw the, the initial stories was that it was a female. Now, when you put you look at all of these mass shootings, it is almost exclusively men, young men yes. who are angry, who are have come from dysfunctional backgrounds or whatever. They all have a story, but it's almost exclusively men. So when you have a female, that's the first kind of wait a minute. What's this? And then it wasn't long until, uh, you know, the police identified her as a female. But then the news reports started saying that she was a, a uh, you know, a transgendered man. Um, and so I started the, the pronouns started changing. I was trying to keep up with, uh, you know, the, the, the ever changing stories there. So, so that tells us something. Yeah, it tells us something. And and we don't know yet. Was she on cross-sex hormones? Um, that's certainly the normal path, quote-unquote normal path, for someone who identifies as transgender. And if that is the case, we don't know how that interacts with a person's psyche, how it interacts with we, – we have ideas about how it right. affects the body – but aside from that, so, so you yeah. say we don't know when you say we, we yes, you're talking about you're talking about clinicians, clinicians, researchers in the psychological and because medical this fields. is so, so new and that these drugs that are being used for this, this is not their primary purpose. Tony, the studies that have been done to support transgender procedures, you wouldn't have your toenail removed based on the, the methods alone. Forget Forget the, uh, the how many studies have been done, which are not that many, but you you honestly wouldn't have your toenail removed uh, based on somebody's report that their mental health was better. Would not alone the organs we're talking about major sexual organs, breast, other um, other genitalia surgeries, cross sex hormones. These things have major repercussions to uh, a person's physiology, let alone their psychology. So, so we don't know. We don't know. We're not talking about we as an FRC. We're talking <laughs> yeah. about we as medical experts do not know the effects of these dangerous drugs. You talked about we we really don't know the physical. We know the some of the short term, but we don't know the yes. long term effects. But we don't know anything about the psychological effect. No, because we don't have studies that have looked at 
what uh, what are the ramifications of somebody whose who's, um, puberty has been blocked? But do uh, they want those studies? Are those studies being blocked? That, that's right. There are all kinds of reasons why it, it's dangerous. And, and you'll hear people from WPATH, they'll say, that's, um, you know, the transgender research groups will say, you know, these are dangerous to go through the normal trials that we would put any other pharmaceutical uh, through, let alone, for, you know, forget the surgeries. We're just talking about pharmaceuticals. These are too dangerous. Well, then why can we just release these on on kids without any testing? Right. That should tell you something. So, Dr. Bounds, let me ask you, in, in the area of the way the media has responded to this and running corrections and being more concerned about misgendering the the shooter in this particular case, does that not even make it more difficult for experts, clinicians, researchers to drill down on this because it's just not a politically correct place to go? Right. It's it's not a politically correct place to go in your research. You're going to face a lot of backlash if you go into, um, you know, try to create some kind of grant proposal or receive grant funding that goes against the current narrative or you try to publish your uh, manuscript, if you you know produce research, you're going to have problems. And then also just in the clinical field, you know, we've talked about this, that, that it's very difficult to practice against your own code of ethics because, right. you, know, <laughs> you know, it tells you to, to affirm that's your that's your ethical code. So, so we're, we're almost locking ourselves in as a society to to go down this unknown path that could that we know has significant dangers for the individual, Mm -hmm. but could be very dangerous for society as a whole. Yes. And that's what I believe we got a foretaste of with this case in Nashville. And this is I mean, you can't overstate how horrific this is. And again, we don't know all the details, but we get a sense. We we don't know all the details. We don't. There is a manifesto that, that has not been released. But we do know that she was she was in some type of mental health counseling. Yeah, that much we do know. And um, we do know that our society has created the seedbed for for anger and violence for anyone who does not align with that person's transgender identity. What a horrible place to live. Could you imagine right. if if any of us lived our whole lives based on external circumstances? I mean, it, the hate mail right. that you get at any day, you could be absolutely miserable. But it makes me smile. <laughs> the, the, she bought... Uh, as I recall correctly, seven weapons legally, but yet she was in mental health counseling. Mm -hmm. We know historically gender dysphoria has been classified as, as problematic, but there's been changes to that. So, I mean, this, this is creating, this is like a cauldron of all these things being mixed together that again, we don't know. But certainly there appears to be enough to we should at least ask the questions. Is this what this toxic mixture is producing? Yeah, you have you have some folks um, who when I say folks, I, I mean, who are identifying as transgender that clearly have some psychological issues. And clearly there's a spiritual element to this as well. And then you you put in. Hormones for se- let's just say you know they're given cross sex hormones. You you add the opposite sex hormones to all of those mental issues that are going on anyway. 
What on earth? I mean, I mean I we know, have normal teenagers. <laughs> well, I, I, I know that I'm affected just by taking, you know, antihistamine. Right. You know, you, you, anything you put in your body has an effect, and it's going to come out. For every action, there's a reaction. All right, we, we just got about five minutes left, and, and I, I want to transition for just a little bit because this is really your area of expertise in dealing with trauma. Mm-hmm. And these things are, these shootings are becoming way too common. And, and as adults, we kind of move on and we say, oh, another one of these. But our kids are soaking a lot of this stuff in. And, and, and we often miss it because kids, especially if you're not having lots of conversations with your kids and just kind of going about life, they hear these things, but they don't necessarily say them. These are things we need to be having conversations about with our children as they see and increasingly, I think our children are being affected uh, by all of this that's happening around them. Yes. And I would just add to to what you're saying that we need to be aware just biblically where we're at in on the timeline. Right. Um, when we think about, you know, Jesus said in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. How, how does love grow cold? Well, I mean, you you have traumatic events that harden people's yeah. hearts. And we're Jesus. I mean, well, it's not necessarily Jesus, but it's in the Bible that perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. And so we have to connect with love if we're not to walk in fear. And we, we are warned we're going to have a lot of things that make us fearful. Men's hearts will grow fear, you know, grow faint for the fearful <laughs> for the things that are coming on the world. And and so we have to know that this is what we're going to be facing now, how do we be victorious in the midst of those fearful things? Well, I think one, of course, is that we we get in the Word of God and yeah. that we are rooted in the Word, but also that we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that we can connect with the Holy Spirit in the midst of the trauma. It's a source of power. It's a source of it, power. And Jesus, when he talked to his disciples about that, about the things that were to come, and he said, the love of many will grow cold because of the tribulation, because of the difficulty, that was the fact that we needed that that sustaining presence and power that yes. comes through the Holy Spirit. Yes, and what do traumatic events do? They, the aim of, if you look at it as the enemy of your soul, bringing these things on you, whether, you know, whether it's a shooting or whether it's a hurricane, these things are from the enemy of our soul. When I yeah. say that, I'm talking about spiritual enemies. Right. And they are working to disconnect us from our Heavenly Father. And they're working to uh, kind of create a minimization, or I, I should say, to narrow our lives so that we're functioning in a place of trying to avoid fear or avoid situations rather than obeying than the Holy Spirit. It, it, yes, and living. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, yeah. not so that we live in a box out of fear, yes. constantly looking over our shoulder, being fearful. Now, the effects of sin, and, and this is not to say the effects of individual sin, but collectively the fallen nature of man that is being unrestrained by the Holy Spirit in believers that are engaged in the culture, it only causes this sin to snowball and the effect to grow more pronounced, which is what yeah. we're seeing. Absolutely. And, and I think... You know, one of the best things we can do for our kids 
is to bring them back to the Holy Spirit yeah. in the midst of, of, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid to go to school. Okay. Let's, let's talk to, let's talk to God. Right. What does he say about that? That's, is he that's with really you? Good. Yeah. Do you? And, and wait to hear his voice. Sometimes we, we talk too much and we don't listen to the Holy Spirit. He has a lot to say and he, he's with us and he's a comforter. He is. That's what he's called. Yes. Jennifer Valens, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's good to be with you. Always great to talk with you. Well, folks, uh, this news just coming in. Uh, President, former President Trump has been indicted. Um, uh, don't have time to go into that today, but we will tomorrow. Jody Heiss will be in, so be sure and tune in. We'll have the latest uh, on this uh, breaking news. But let me encourage you. As uh, Dr. Balmans was saying, we, we need to be praying. We need to be praying over our families, over our children. We need to be having those conversations. But we need to be living out our faith, allowing the Holy Spirit to have its restraining influence on the evil and lawlessness of this culture. It doesn't work when we hide within the walls of our church or of our homes. Great to have you with us today. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.